Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Hour number two of Extra Point on this Thursday, April 6th. He is Bob Kemp. I am Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. My goodness, Victor Hovland is about to set some sort of record uh, because he just birdied the par 5 13th. He is now seven under par through 13 holes atop the leaderboard at the Masters. Shane Lowry, uh, Xander Shoffley, John Rahm, Brooks Kepka all sitting at three under par as, of course, round number one at Augusta National is underway. So we'll continue to update you on what's happening in round number one of the Masters throughout the rest of the show. But as we typically do, let's reset the scene with today's poll questions. And we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question. There has to be some sort of bias here going on. I'm not quite certain. But the question here, who should be the NBA regular season? an MVP. The choice is Giannis, Joel Embiid, or uh, Nikola Jokic. Giannis lead has grown to 80% of the vote. Jokic sitting at 20% and Joel Embiid still with no votes. Yeah, maybe this is a people, uh, you know, I'm not exactly the biggest Embiid fan, but uh, certainly acknowledge what he does in the regular season. So I'm not sure what to think. You know, Doc Rivers said it was over. Uh, I don't think this is what he was meaning after uh, you know the Tuesday night 52-point game when he declared it was over in his guy's favor. He also said he was biased, which, you know, good for Doc to even mention that. But uh, anyway, so I have no explanation for that voting. Yeah, uh, but we'll answer and give our opinions around 1130 today on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. Bob had a conversation with Steve Rivera uh, chatting all things U of A uh, men's basketball. And if you missed that conversation, you can podcast KDUS1060.com as well as with the KDUS 1060 app or Apple and Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. The question here on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060, will the U of A basketball team be better next season without Kirk Carissa? No leading the way at 56.3% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 43.8%. Certainly, Kreese's uh, departure uh, clears the way. If it wasn't already clear, maybe this is why he left. Something I talked about with Steve in the sports zone today. It clears the way for Kylan Boswell, who did play one year high school basketball here in the Valley and uh, only 17 years old. Still, I think he's just still 17. I think he turns 18 in like May or something like that. But uh, I think he's actually uh, a better all-around player, and I thought he actually should have played more last season than Creasa did. Uh, so we'll get into that around 11.30 today. want to pivot off of uh, some baseball topics here and get into an article I saw on The Athletic written by Mike Sando, a friend of the shows here. And uh, he talked to executives and got their opinions on what took place around free agency in the NFL, the move so far of the 32 teams, and kind of get a barometer of where we're at. And I figured we could go through the NFC West and then a few of the teams 
that have caused some intrigue so far this season or some some things that are catching our attention. So, of course, with the Arizona Cardinals, the first team to start with here, the exact quote in the article from Mike Sando from an unnamed executive is uh, they have a new coach and a new GM who have never worked together and their super expensive quarterback is out. I don't want to say this is a throwing out year, but it's a throwing away year. I think that's kind of yeah. how we feel about how things are going going to go this season because there's a lot of pieces that you have to be part of uh, rebuilding and, and uh, re-rostering the important positions. Yeah, and I think you just look at the way that the Cardinals have gone about free agency thus far. They are starting from scratch, basically, and that's what they should be doing at this point. It doesn't exactly... Uh, yeah, mesh with the fact that you signed Kyler Murray through 2027, but A, you didn't think you were going to be as bad as you were last year, I'm sure, when that happened. And certainly you didn't expect him to go down with the season-ending knee, uh, season knee injury in December, which will obviously keep him out for a large part of the 2023 season. Uh, then when we continue on in the NFC West, let's go with the Rams. The executive says here, quote, in my head, I was like, how did Carolina not trade Brian Burns to the Rams for two ones and a two last season? Now the Rams are pivoting, probably thinking, good thing we didn't do that. Uh, they are kind of in a rebuild mode. Another executive offered up his opinion here, quote, I think Sean McVay gets back to his roots and stops being a drop back team and a gun team and gets back to being under center and doing your boot naked movement in your mid and wide zones your speed sweeps they can still be fairly formidable on the offensive side of the football that will have to carry them yeah well they're gonna have to be better in the offensive line healthier in the offensive line they weren't good or healthy in those areas last year and uh the fact that uh, you know almost all of what mcveigh likes to do is uh based on being able to run the ball not necessarily all just play action but run the ball and they couldn't run the ball. Uh, that kind of eliminated a lot of things. And then when Stafford went down, that pretty pretty much eliminated everything else at that point last year. I think if you look at the West, I mean, you, I think there's clearly you know some serious tiers here. You know, San Fran. In fact, you, I think you can actually make four tiers for four teams. Uh, San Francisco seems to be the best team. Seattle made the playoffs last year. I think they made some improvements. I'm sure we're going to get to them in a second here, so I won't steal all the thunder there but they seem to be clearly number two. And uh, the Rams uh, would maybe be lost. They would be last in several divisions in the NFL, but uh, the Cardinals are in this division, and they're clearly right now, without a doubt, the worst team in the NFC West. Yeah, I think when I was looking at these two executive uh, comments here, I agreed with the first one that they're clearly going to be in a rebuild mode and have to kind of start over because uh, without a doubt, they went all in to get their championship. They got it, and now they have to kind of pay the consequences of that. Um, I don't know if consequences is the right word because they have a Super Bowl championship out of it. But the second executive here was talking about how he wants to get back to his roots on the offensive side of the ball, and that could still be a formidable side and has to be I think I agree that it has to be but I don't know if it can be and when I think of formidable I I, I think of I guess that word to me means better than just average yeah if you can't run the ball uh, at all uh, you've got to have the greatest passing game of all time and uh, even with a healthy Stafford and you know some of their receivers were also hurt last year 
Uh, it's going to just a terrible combination and they had a ton of injuries and you were actually kind of surprised by the end of the season when the Rams actually won a game. Uh, moving into the San Francisco 49ers, what one of the executives said here, quote, what they have continually done is keep a strength a strength in regards to their defensive line. They are at an advantage because of what Kyle Shanahan can do with their offense and their offensive line. The quote went on to be quite lengthy. So to kind of paraphrase the rest of it is that they've built out the defensive line to be able to help with the back end of their defense. So they only have to rush for drop back in coverage and make things challenging for opposing offenses yeah I just add to that a little bit it's not just their defensive line which has obviously gotten better they've added via free agency even more depth in the offensive line but their their linebackers are the best in the NFL uh, and uh, so I would just say front seven uh, you know there's not a front seven in the NFL better than San Francisco and I think that was the case last year and I think it's actually improved this offseason uh, so the one question mark that I have that has kind of been a fascinating thing to underlyingly pay attention to in regards to the 49ers is the quarterback situation. And it kind of depends upon who you listen to. Uh, you know, Trey Lance is supposed to be coming back, but whether or not it's going to be Brock Purdy's team because of what he was able to do uh, stepping in last season. But he had surgery on the elbow. So what's the timetable for him to come back? And then you throw in Sam Darnold in the mix as who they brought in in free agency so again there's this core group of players surrounding the 49ers and it again comes down to question marks for the quarterback position yeah I was gonna say I don't care who the quarterback is and then you brought up the Darnold thing which I had actually kind of forgotten about it does matter if he's playing because he's not good uh but uh I don't even think uh you know, basically, I don't even think that, uh, you know, the offensive scheme can you know, save Sam Darnold at this point. I've seen enough of him in now two places. And he's just a he's a backup quarterback that should only play under emergency situations if you don't have anybody else. And uh, unfortunately, their first two preferred guys are coming off of uh, you know, season-ending injuries, you know, counting the uh, – you know, the Brock Purdy thing season ending because, you know, he wasn't able to finish the season technically because he got hurt in the last game in the playoffs. Uh, but, you know, they, as long as they have those weapons on offense, it's pretty almost impossible for not a quarterback, a quarterback to have success uh, in that, in, uh, this you know, the Shanahan type of offense. But, yeah, I, I don't care who you guys – I want no part of Sam Darnold. If he's out there playing uh, – uh, that's a time you go in live betting and bet against the 49ers at that point. Then finally rounding out the NFC West here, of course, this is coming from The Athletic. Mike Sando's article speaking with different executives from around the league. A quote here about the Seahawks. The Geno deal is really smart, very fair, because it is a year-to-year -year option on a player who played well for you over a single season and who you respect but might not be the long-term answer. What they did was pretty good. Yeah, a lot of talk about them drafting a quarterback, too. Um, so we'll see whether that happens. They have two first-round picks, um, and uh, that uh, certainly gives them some options. They've added some defensive help, which they needed, especially in the front seven during the offseason. And you would assume that their rookie tackles, their offensive tackles from last year, who were really effective, especially for rookies, but you know, maybe even just throw out the rookie part, they were good. And they also had two key defensive backs that were rookies. 
you would assume that those four guys are going to continue to get better as they get older. You know, you mentioned the two first-round picks, and this question just kind of popped into my head here. So on paper, right now, it looks like the Seahawks have won the trade, right? Because Russell Wilson went to Denver and had a really abysmal season. Now it's up to Sean Payton to kind of figure things out, resurrect what's going on over there. Does that put more pressure on the Seahawks executive staff to then go and and hit on that first round pick that they got uh, to make sure that it becomes a winning trade? Or is that just more for us to to kind of talk about and judge later on? Good question, which means I don't have a good answer. (laughs) So uh, unsure, but uh, really, you know, the Seahawks had many drafts in their, in their, you know, alleged heyday you know dynasty portion uh, at least of the nfc west that you know they did not great in the first round of some drafts but they just loaded up and did unbelievably well in the non-first round picks and then last year they had the first and really they had every pick last year seemed to work out and they were all contributing players immediately now granted they needed those guys to play immediately too but uh, they they pretty much hit a thousand uh, as far as uh, you know. Basically, those guys uh, being impact players in the first year of their NFL careers, and you just have to assume, and maybe not. It's not going to be the case for every guy, but uh, if they're that good when they're rookies, you would assume that they're going to continue to uh, get better as their careers continue. So uh, you can't like strike out, but if they're going, especially if they're going to take a quarter, their quarterback of the future with one of their one of their early picks, whether it's first round or beyond, uh, you, you can't you know, completely bomb out on that. But uh, I think they've given themselves a little uh, stability, at least in the next couple of years, with uh, what they did last year. Uh, so I just grabbed three teams of intrigue, and of course I wanted to start with the Baltimore Ravens here because I was just curious, what are executives saying uh, if they if they don't have to put their name behind it? What are they saying around the league about what's going on with the Lamar Jackson situation? So here, quote, we uh, all agree the player, and then in parentheses Jackson, is not able to win in the playoffs. His record is one in three. But where is your better answer? You don't have one. They should have committed to Lamar two years ago. Instead, they disenfranchise their franchise quarterback. They are the Green Bay of the AFC North. Couldn't have a relationship with the top guy. I thought this was just an incredible quote because I didn't realize that we all agreed that Jackson is unable to win in the playoffs. And therefore, if that's the sentiment of the majority of executives, I think that really kind of sets the market for Lamar Jackson, doesn't it? Well, I don't think he can win in the playoffs, and I got really questions of whether he can actually make it through a regular season staying healthy at this point. Uh, his accuracy has not improved, and I know that you can make a case that that's because his wide receiving situation hasn't been great, but you know, accuracy shouldn't matter who the wide receiver is, uh, so we'll see. Uh, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that you know Harbaugh was pretty astonished how he hasn't, uh, when they were here for the owners' meetings, how he has, uh, you know, been very patient when he's asked about Har- against uh, about Lamar Jackson and Harbaugh has. Uh, Eric DaCosta, who's the general manager, is he ran out of patience officially yesterday uh, when he pretty much said he's done answering Lamar Jackson questions. I'm paraphrasing, but that's pretty much what the bottom line was for him yesterday. 
Uh, and then a couple of other ones here. Uh, the Chargers, uh, quote, it is hard to imagine a team being that leveraged when they are probably the fifth or sixth best team in the conference. They haven't won a playoff game in four years, and they just lost to the Jags. That's kind of an interesting sentiment of how uh, people view the Chargers. That's exactly what I think about the Chargers. Exactly. And also, yeah, I'm a guy that was high on Justin Herbert before the draft uh, when hardly anybody was. Uh, And then I'm actually, I'm somewhat disappointed uh, the last two years. And, you know, he's been good, really good. But when they've needed the big play and a lot of in, they've lost some close games. And obviously they had the meltdown at the end of the season two years ago. And I believe they lost three out of four. He's been really not good in the red zone. And a lot of this is him. And, uh, you know, I've heard play calling the offensive coordinator, the, you know, whatever. A lot of this, he's just missed a lot of throws that would have won them some really important games. Uh, so I need to see him improve. And I think that their whole organization at this point, you know, I, you know, I got duped into betting on them a couple of years ago for over the total, and then they folded it at the end of the year. I'm throwing – that's not part of my uh, thought process here, even though I just mentioned it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think that they're now overrated. I mean, I think that the – you know, and I think that Herbert is now overrated. For a guy that was like in kind of in a you know, camp of my own, uh, being a big a fan, a big fan of him coming out of Oregon, uh, I'm I'm kind of on the other side now. I need to see him show some serious improvement, especially in the red zone and in close games. And the final one that I pulled here, just because there's been a lot of intrigue here lately about speculation whether or not the Titans are going to try to move up in the draft and get a quarterback, or if it looks like a particular one is falling, then make their move to try to get up to it. So just curious to see what the executives there thought about things for free agency. And the quote here is, Derrick Henry is a perfect trade deadline candidate. That is probably when you get the most value for him. I would think you even trade him now before the draft. Um, why wouldn't he be more value before the draft than after the draft and during the season? Uh, so unless you think the, you know, whatever, I, I don't think much of the Titans. In fact, I, you know, I don't, I really have no opinion of the Titans at this point. I just think that they're as average as it gets. Unfortunately, their window of opportunity, uh, I think is long gone at this point. Uh, and then there is one other bit of news here coming out of the Cardinals camp. Looks like a longtime uh, strength and conditioning coordinator, Buddy Morris, is moving into a more senior role, and they have officially named Evan Marcus as their new head strength and conditioning uh, coordinator. And so that was interesting as well because when you conducted that uh, player survey, the uh, head strength and conditioning, that was one of the ones that received a, a higher mark than the rest of the, the organization did. But it looks like Buddy Morris is moving into a more senior role and they're turning things over to Evan Marcus to be the new head strength and conditioning coordinator. Okay, Tom Reed's still there, right? So that was, I think that was, uh, most of the people have talked about him over the years. So I think he's still around. Uh, let me double check that before I say anything. Um, and I'll get back to you on the other side of the break here. But 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to join the program. We'll take your calls here in this segment on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060.
SAM 1060 is the home to the Dan Patrick Show, the Doug Gottlieb Show, and Sports Map Radio. Catch all the sports content here on AM 1060. Welcome back to the Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, online at kdos1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today. Uh, as we were headed to break, we were discussing uh, Tom Reed, which uh, he used to be the athletic trainer with the Arizona Cardinals, and I wanted to make sure I had this factually correct, but yes, he uh, was let go back in March, and the team has replaced him with Texas Tech uh, Red Raiders former athletic trainer Drew Kruger. So uh, Tom Reed has been actually moved on from the Cardinals this season. So there's kind of been a sweeping changes with the new Gannon and Austin Fort regime. Okay, my bad. I apologize. I should know better. So I, I didn't know he left. Um. 602-260-1060 is the number as we'll pop on out to the KDOS hotline. Alan Phoenix, what's on your mind today? Well, first of all, uh, thank you, Kayla and Bob. Um, I think definitely Kirk Creasa leaving uh, U of A is addition by subtraction. <laughs> um, I'm, I've heard he's going to West Virginia, which seems like an interesting destination. I don't know how Huggins, Huggins is still co- going to be coaching would handle uh, Creasa, but he definitely was, uh, I think, you know, not 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 a far from an elite player. And one of the reasons that the last two years, I think that they've uh, they if they would have had better point guard play, they would have been farther than where they did. Agreed. Even though two years ago you know, they had a better team, and he was also you know, yeah. got hurt in the in the Pac-12 tournament. Uh, but yeah, you know, he's not a good defender. He is a tremendous passer. He was, uh, you know, this year he had some. Uh, I know the three point numbers weren't bad, but he had some stretches where he was really not good at all for several weeks in a row, especially in the Pac-12 season. And uh, one of the reasons they were so inconsistent this year, especially in road games, is the fact that he did not shoot well. Uh, I don't know. If, I don't have a little barometer here of you know, their losses, and but I'm I'm just off the top of my head. It seems to me that uh, you know when the games that they lost this year, he did not shoot well in the majority of those games. And then I want to talk about the Nuggets. Is this Mike Malone? Is he gone after? If if they lose, I assume if they lose in the first round, he's out. He has to be out. I, I would I would be shocked if he were out after the you know, even really? if they lose in the first round. Unless he leaves on his own, I mean, I can't imagine they're going to fire him. Uh, he's been their most successful coach since Doug Moe. Doesn't it, don't they seem uh, so, dysfunctional now a bit? I mean, he's calling them out, he's being soft, and, and they seem like well, they're dysfunctional. I think is just an absurd word. Sorry, Al, but I mean, I don't understand that <laughs> word at all. Uh, I understand the word, but I don't understand the definition as far as the Nuggets right now. They just clinched the best record in the Western Conference. I so know, but they're, they're, they just got blown out by the Rockets. I mean, they, they, he's called them they lost one game to the Rockets. Yeah. Give me a break. <laughs> I guess I'm, I, I, if I'm the Suns, I would look forward to a matchup against them. I think that they does. Well, I don't think they match. I don't think they match up well against the Suns at all, uh, as we talked uh, about earlier in the in the extra point. But uh, you know the NBA playoffs. A lot of it has to do with matchups, and I'm guessing that there are a few teams uh, that match up uh, 
worse uh, for the Nuggets than facing the Suns. And I would even say that before the Durant trade. And then the, the West is kind of really, you, you're right, it's, it's such a, it's a jumble. It's hard to, it's really hard to figure out. While the East, you know, it's got, it's got those uh, top two teams and, you know, support, and I'm not surprised Embiid isn't getting a whole lot of love from everyone on the MVP side. I mean, uh, I think that they're they're looking at the uh, you know, Giannis, but you know, he's more in everyone's mind. He's done a lot more, but um, who knows who? But I, I would, I would, I would go with Giannis, Giannis rather than uh, Embiid. Well, I would too, but uh, it seems like we're in the minority here, except for the poll question today. I guess so. Uh, we're, you know, nobody likes it being the poll question, at least the last uh, the last update. But uh, I don't quite get it. Uh, Kayla, what do you think about that MVP thing? Yeah, well, I mean, the straw poll came out and put Embiid ahead of Jokic there. Giannis really wasn't a factor. Uh, I, I guess if you're going to, to look at things, though, um, Who's the cast of characters that Giannis has versus who's the cast of characters that Embiid has? Maybe that's what they're factoring in uh, for why they're giving the edge to Embiid. He has had three 50-point performances this season. Um, In addition to that, maybe we're just kind of accustomed to, because sometimes this happens, the greatness, you just kind of get used to it, of Giannis being able to barrel in and make such great plays and and be uh, such a a stud for the Bucks that maybe we just kind of say, well, who else is some fresh blood, even though I realize Jokic has won it the last two years. Yeah, and for Giannis, I mean, I don't understand why people don't talk about his defense more often. Maybe they do and miss not paying attention uh, and I'm really not paying attention because, as I've said millions of times in my radio career, uh, there is nothing more absurd in uh, team sports than voting individual awards, especially based on the regular season. Yeah, that's true. Well, I think he's a very complete player, Giannis, uh, and uh, I'd vote for him. But uh, anyway, like you said, we're in the minority, and these awards are, you know, they're the they're only worth the, you know, I don't know what they're, you know, based on the regular season, it's kind of ridiculous, but I, does any league actually do an award based on the, the you know, with the, the MVP included in the, uh, the MVP voting? I don't think so. Not that I know of. I mean, we just no. uh, you know, had a you know, college basketball season where you know, the player of the year by everybody uh, lost, his team lost in the first game, number one seed against the number 16 seed, so Glad again. Congratulations uh, for him winning uh, the National Player of the Year award from everybody. But uh, yeah, he was one and done when it mattered. Not all his yeah, fault, no. but uh, you know, was you know, who cares? In my opinion, but that's just me. And lastly, do you think San Diego State now they're going to be sustained? You know, have a have a sustained. Uh, I mean, they've always been pretty you know successful, but never quite to this level. Um, but do you, you see them you know continuing on or? Well, I would would assume joining the Pac-12, I know it's not official yet, but there seems to be no chance that they're not joining the Pac-12. They're going to be in the Pac-12 maybe as early as next year. Uh, We'll see how this goes. Uh, I don't think we're doubtful early as next year, but I heard somebody mention after the game the other night, but UCLA and USC aren't leaving this year. They're They're around for another year. Uh, but uh, I would assume it would help San Diego State's recruiting if you got in the Pac-12 as opposed to the Absolutely. Mountain West. 
So and I'd love the, to see U of A play uh, San Diego State every year. That'd be good. Uh, they they play them every. They played them this year. Uh, they I play know, them almost. A lot of times they do, but tw- yeah, tw- it would be yeah, they, yeah, they played a, a ton over the home. years. Yeah, it's a great. They played. Yeah, they played in Hawaii a few times. They played home and home series. Uh, they played frequently and uh, for a lot of a lot of years. I remember back in the seventies, they even played a couple times when San Diego State wasn't very good. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Bob. Caleb, have a good week. Thank you, Al. Six zero two two sixty ten sixty is always the number to join the program. Just a brief look at the Masters leaderboard before we get ready for poll questions on the other side of the break. Victor Hovland, uh, he remains out in front, seven under par. He parred the par five fifteenth. Uh, Xander Shoffley, he's sitting at five under par. John Rom four under. Brooks Kepka four under. Brooks Kepka coming off of a victory in last week's live event in Orlando. Shane Lowry three under par. Uh, Seamus Power three under par. Chris Kirk three under par. Adam Scott former Masters champ, three under par, and Cam Young sitting at three under par. So uh, that's kind of a look at the leaders atop of Augusta National. And a couple of things caught my attention here. Uh, this morning on VEASAN, as I was driving in, I heard that Circa had much more handle on the Masters than the Final Four. Uh, I know that the Masters gets a ton of action in terms of the golf world more than any other major event, but does that surprise you that they had more handle on the Masters than the Final Four? Not at all. Uh, they've been taking these Masters bets for months, too, though, right? Yes. I mean, this is I have like, you know, plenty of futures. Starts, yeah, it starts, like six, it starts like nine months ago, like last summer or whatever. Uh, so, no, and then the fact that in the final four included two teams that really don't get much uh, national attention. I think that that also played a role, so I'm not surprised at all at that. A couple of cool things that are going to take place for Augusta National. Fred Ridley, the chairman of Augusta National Golf Club, announced this week that starting in 2024, there will now be an invite to the NCAA Division I Men's Individual Champion. You typically have the amateurs that come uh, part of winning a U.S. US amateur. Now they're going to extend that to those that win the NCAA Division I Men's Individual Champion. And the NCAA Women's Division I Champion will get an invite to the Augusta National Women's Amateur. That's an event that they hold. So that's pretty cool updates from Augusta National. And then winners of full events on the PGA Tour uh, in the fall with full allocation of points will get an invite. That's going to be a little bit different as well as those that play in the Tour Championship. So it's trying to accommodate the new PGA Tour change of rules for how their season is structured to make sure that everyone is getting an opportunity to be eligible for the Masters. And then Ridley did suggest This has been a hot topic of discussion that the USGA and the RNA a couple of weeks ago announced about a rollback of the golf ball for the professional level. Ridley did suggest that it is likely Augusta will adopt the ball change rule, but going to receive feedback from the industry before making a final determination. Uh, So we'll continue to monitor that. But uh, citing that they always have... Uh, respect for the governing body, the USGA and the RNA. So that's what's going on around Augusta National and the Masters event. Shane Lowry just birdied 18, so he's in the clubhouse at four under par. Victor Hovland still out in front at seven under par uh, coming to you from Augusta. The weather's still great. So it looks like if it's going to roll in, it's going to be rolling in this afternoon. So we'll see if there's any sort of 
wave advantage for those that are going to be playing, uh, getting their round in in great conditions versus those that are going to have to play in some some nasty weather if it starts to turn later on this afternoon or what it'll be like tomorrow. But it's poll question time right here on KDOS AM 1060. Bob and I answer them next. Interact with Bob Kemp's poll question on KDUS1060.com. That's KDUS1060.com. And while you're there, check out Bob Kent's bottom line at KDUS1060.com. Eleven forty-two on this. Thursday, April 6th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortellaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Let's waste no time and dive right into it. The poll questions, and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Who should be the NBA regular season MVP? The options are Giannis, Joel Embiid, or Nikola Jokic. Uh, to me, it would have to be between uh, you know Giannis and Jokic. I mean, I don't factor in Embiid. Uh, I just don't. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, he's going to win it apparently. But uh, you know, to me, you know, if you take a, you know, you can make a case if you take away any of these guys and their team, they're obviously not going to be as good. But I actually think that you know Jokic uh, does pretty much everything for the nuggets everything they run the offense through him which uh you know not many big guys uh, you know, basically the offense uh is kind of you know I don't think he has the ball the most of the time you know, as far as you know time of possession type of thing not like John Stockton he's not like John Stockton a point guard who had the ball like 110% of the time but you know certainly everything he does for the nuggets is amazing and I just think that Giannis is uh, the best all-around player in the NBA. Uh, so that's this year, other years, whatever year. Uh, at this point, he's, I think he's just the best player in the league. Uh, and I need to – I may have, have personal bias against Embiid because he's had some injury issues in the past and uh, has he and they have not shown up in the playoffs when it matters. I know Jokic hasn't uh, done great in that area either, but uh, – you know, once again, I'm just kind of babbling on here because I, you know, I'm the guy that thinks that you know, individual awards, and apparently the only guy that thinks individual awards and team sports are just a complete, total waste of time, and you'd have to almost tie me down to even after actually vote on such a thing. Well, I don't think you're the only person because when Aaron Rodgers was talking with Pat McAfee about how he still has stuff left in the tank and he cited that he has another MVP in him, there were certainly a lot of people that jumped on that, that why are you talking about MVPs and you're not talking about playoffs in the Super Bowl and talking about the team? You're talking about an individual award. So you're not the only one there. Uh, but I think those are people who just don't like Aaron Rodgers that said that. <laughs> Well, maybe I was trying to help. Um, okay, I appreciate the uh, appreciate the the effort, so, but I, I think I am the only person that just doesn't think it's really worth a damn, quite frankly. So Giannis's team, the Bucks, they've clinched the one seed in the East. I believe they are going to finish with the best record in the NBA this season. The Bucks, though, are eleven and six without him this year. He's played in sixty-three games so far. Just some numbers. He's averaging thirty-one point one points per game, eleven point eight rebounds per game, five point seven assists per game, twelve point three foul attempts per game. I actually thought that number would have been higher. Uh, Sixty-four point five percent shooting from the 
the line. Joel Embiid. Embiid has had three 50-point performances this season. Health for him is always a factor, but he has played 65 games so far this year. His numbers, 33.3 points per game, 10.2 rebounds per game, 4.2 assists, 11.8 foul attempts per game, and he shoots 85.9% from the line. Jokic, uh, he's going for three MVPs in a row, so the question here is they're kind of like Jokic MVP fatigue. He's played so far in six 68 games this season a bit of a slide in February even before he was out with the calf injury but uh, his scoring is down a little bit just because of some of the other players health wise but he's still the centerpiece of everything I hit I think you hit on it perfectly that the offense runs through him so he's so central to what the Nuggets are trying to do on the offensive side of the ball he's averaging numbers 24.8 points per game 11.9 rebounds per game 9.8 assists per game six foul attempts and he shoots 82.1% from the line his team has clinched the one seed in the west Um, so for me I think here I'm going Jokic and it's because he's such the he's still the center of everything that the Nuggets do and so if I'm looking at removing all three of these players from the team yes there is going to be a major drop-off for all three teams, but I guess who drops off the most? And I would say the Nuggets with Jokic. I get it. I mean, I guess you can make a case for everybody, and, uh, you know, everybody's uh, making a case for, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people are making a good case for all three, and uh, except in our last time when we checked out the uh, voting for our poll question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's correct, because Giannis is still out in front at 71% of the vote, Jokic sitting at 29%, and Joel Embiid still at 0% of the vote. So that's kdos1060.com. Over on Twitter, at KDOS AM 1060, will the U of A basketball team be better next season without Kirk Creesa? I think the answer to this is yes, uh, because you have to find a way to upgrade at guard. I mean, everyone talks about March is about guard play, right? And if he's not uh, facilitating, he's been kind of really inconsistent shooting the ball. I know that there's been injury last year. Potentially could talk about that again this year. But just in general, I'm not sure it has, has worked out the way that everyone thought it was going to. And it's probably just best for there to be a fresh start for both and, and to be able to upgrade at that position so i'm going to say yes yeah me too i i think that tommy lloyd's uh biggest uh my biggest criticism of lloyd through his first two years at the u of a my probably my only criticism is that he's just stayed too long with creasa now two years ago i don't think he has nearly as much of an alternative but kylan boswell should have been playing more this year and I understood at the start of the year he was coming off the knee injury from the offseason, and they wanted to ease him in. But, you know, after a while, I mean, I don't think it was an injury situation. He seemed to be perfectly healthy when he was playing. I know there was a, like a minutes limit at the start of the year. I think that was removed. And Bosley's, Boswell, excuse me, is just a better player, all-around player. I don't think there's any doubt about that than Creasa. And Creasa did – he's a tremendous passer. And that's a big deal for them. He's a better passer at this stage of their careers than Boswell is. But I think that, uh, you know, with uh, Boswell seemingly going to be the starting point guard for them moving forward, uh, and he's a good defender and uh, obviously you know, has offensive skills, 
maybe not the dynamic three-point shooter that uh, at least when Crease uh, is making shots, that's kind of his, uh, you know, the, the one thing is he did lead the Pac-12 in assists. Second thing is, you know, he makes some threes, but he also, as I mentioned earlier, had a couple of, uh, I'd say, massive slumps not making threes. And uh, his game is greatly reduced if he's not completely effective offensively because he's just a complete liability at the defensive end of the floor. And Boswell's much better at that. I would assume with Boswell as the point guard next year, they'll also be able to put a little more full court pressure and uh, not necessarily to steal the ball, but you know, put some pressure on the opposing t- uh, you know offenses. And uh, the UVA defense clearly, no matter who's playing, has to improve the next couple of seasons, and that's the primary reason in my mind why they've been eliminated in the NCAA tournament earlier than many expected the last two seasons. The masses are on the no side of things, though, at 52.6% of the vote. Yes, sitting at 47.4%. This is on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. An update from the Masters. Tiger Woods, he's trying to do his best to claw his way back to even par. He's currently one over par with back-to-back birdies. Uh, He has 17 and 18 remaining on the card and for the day. Uh, He certainly was struggling early on in his round with some speed control. I watched him three-putt from like, I don't know, 20 feet. Uh, Not something you're usually used to seeing Tiger Woods do, but uh, Hideki, uh, excuse me, Victor Hovland, he remains out in front, seven under par. Uh, Xander Shoffley at five under par as the Masters round number one is underway. And if you missed it earlier, Will Zalatoris has withdrawn from the tournament. We wrap up this Thursday edition on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point. Check out KDUS AM 1060 on 100.7 KSLX HD2. That's right, HD Radio on 100.7 channel number two. sixth of extra point here on kdos am 1060 online at kdos 1060.com and with the kdos 1060 app powered by superbook sports before i forget with the kdos 1060 app i know the digital department just put up a whole bunch of new listener reward prizes so be sure to download the kdos 1060 app and uh, register and follow along with the instructions for how you can be eligible to win all the prizes that are going on here for the rest of the month of april but it's that time once again it is thank you time bob as always we thank you for listening special thanks to the callers emailers tweeters texters whomever and whatever else sip through the cracks. Also, our guest today, uh, we had U of A basketball and a little football discussion with Steve Rivera from Fox Sports uh, 1150 in Tucson and also allsportstucson.com. And we talked Denver Nuggets with Matt Brooks of the Nuggets.com. And uh, we'll see if anybody plays for the Nuggets tonight, if uh, at least anybody that matters to them, they clinch the 
number one seed last night when the, the Grizzlies lost. So we'll see what happens tonight downtown against the Suns. Also, sound day courtesy of Valley Sports Wisconsin. Uh, TNT. Uh, also, uh, and, uh, Altitude Sports, that's the Nuggets thing. Uh, Pac-12 Network, Bally Sports Arizona, and ESPN. Special thanks, as always, to uh, Kayla and Corey and Aaron. And Kayla's going to tell us what's coming up next. That's right. Up next from noon to 1 o'clock, it is Sports Map Radio Network, followed by the Doug Gottlieb Show from 1 to 3, the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 5, the Sports Who with Dave Rooster Beerstein from 5 to 6, ASU Baseball hosting WSU, getting things started for their three game series tonight pregame is 6 15 first pitches at 6 30 tim healy has the call you can hear it here on kdus am 1060 kdus 1060.com and with the kdus 1060 app the numbers are in for monday's title game it averaged 14.69 million viewers that's a 15 percent decline from last year's kansas unc contest the kansas unc contest was on tbs tnt and true tv whereas this contest on monday was on cbs it becomes the lowest rated and least watched title game the previous low was Villanova beating Michigan in 2018 with 16 million on TBS, TNT, and True TV. And the previous low on CBS was Baylor beating Gonzaga in 2021 with 17.1 million. Um, this is interesting because in all, March Madness averaged 9.55 million viewers, which is a 7% decrease compared to 2022, but it comes after having a record high number of viewers in the round of 64. Yeah, well, when you got a bunch of first-round upsets and some of the you know so-called best teams losing, uh, that's going to play a big role. And there's, I don't think anybody's surprised about this. We even talked about it. Uh, you know, before the Sweet 16, that at that point we expected a re- ratings decline the rest of the tournament. Maybe not this much, uh, but we probably didn't expect San Diego State and Florida Atlantic to be in the Final Four uh, when we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Scotty Scheffler, he's uh, the defending Masters champ. He's two under through four. You have Rory McIlroy. He's even through four. The leader so far, Victor Hovland, seven under par. He has 17 and 18 to play. As always, thank you for listening to The Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. Have yourselves a fantastic rest of your Thursday, and The Extra Point will be with you tomorrow starting at 10 a.m. Enjoy it, and I'll talk to you then.